Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So the first Bible reading in Genesis is Genesis 2, 1 through 25. Okay, so the entire of chapter 2. And um, I'm reading from the NIV, which is, um, we have a couple of versions at the back if you want, are interested. So Genesis 2, um, 1 through 25. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of light and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he had put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there is the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havala where there is gold. The gold of the land is good, aromatic resin and onyx is also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So called each living creature and that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it open over with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman out from the rib, and he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 through 16. Right? Yeah. Chapter, so 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and that the head of Christ is God. For every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. 
For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is this reason that a woman ought to have the authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so every man is born of a woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. It is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks for reading, Ruth. Uh, good morning, everyone. And happy Mother's Day to those for whom it is a happy day. Um, I was saying to Sam, one of the other elders here at church, that uh, Mother's Day is both, a, for some it's a happy day, for others it's not the happiest of days, right? Um, every day like these sort of days, whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day um, or days like that, I, the words of Romans 12, 15 come to my mind. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, it's a, a day where we can rejoice in the goodness and the blessing of motherhood. It's a great gift from God, um, but it's also a day where that can be acutely painful for some people as well. Uh, where that realisation, that desire is, has not yet been met um, and or the memories of motherhood are painful, um, whether a daughter, son or a mother itself. So it's a mixed day, um, but nonetheless we should be thankful to God for good motherhood, I think, as well. Um, before we get going today in the Bible teaching, I would love you to turn to the person next to you. I did, if you're part of our community here at North Adelaide, I put up a little message on our internal communication system to wear your favourite hat to church today. Um, a few people have taken us up on that offer. Um, so what I want you to do is turn to the people around you just really briefly, and if there is someone wearing a normal hat, a less than normal hat, or whatever it is, um, ask them, why is that your favourite hat? And if you're not wearing a hat, just, oh no, make one up. No, um, maybe just say, actually, I didn't bring my favourite hat, but it looks like this, and describe it to the person next to you. So I'll give you like 38 seconds to do that. Um, ask the person near you, why are you wearing that hat? Or maybe talk about what your favourite hat is. Go for it. Go for it. I'll give you a few minutes. We'll, uh, we'll come back together. Uh, the reason why we did that might, might possibly make sense in a few moments' time. Um, you can tell me if it made sense in a moment, maybe after church. But uh, my name is Simon. I'm lead pastor here. Um, if I haven't met you, um, I'd really love to chat with you afterwards. I normally hang at the back door or the entry door into this space um, after church. So I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Maybe you have a question or two about what the heck that Bible reading was about. Uh, the second one in particular from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that Ruth brought us. I have several questions about that passage, actually heaps of questions about that passage. Um, and we'll hopefully get to a few today. Today we are returning to 1 Corinthians. Um, uh, we as a church were working our way through 1 Corinthians late last year. We pressed pause at around chapter 10. Uh, between now and July 11, we're back into 1 Corinthians and we'll get to the end of the letter uh, by the 11th of July. You've got around the seats, you've got a little paper that looks like that. Um, just gives you a brief outline of the series and you can see on the back the scheduled sort of readings or how we're going to make our way through these last bunch of chapters. So that's really for your 
shove it in your Bible. I um, love it if you could come to church each week, having read the passage we're going to look at, so you're just a bit prepped for what's coming, so it's not totally fresh. That would be a good thing to do. Um, chapters 11 through 14 in 1 Corinthians really are about what it means, what it looks like for God's people to gather together in this kind of way, the things that are important to us, how God wants us to do that. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is all about the future resurrection, that one day God's people will be raised bodily to new life and live with God forever. And really that fifth, chapter 15 really kind of shapes, moderates the entire letter that Paul writes of 1 Corinthians. And then chapter 16 rounds out the letter. That's kind of the, the shape we're going from. I don't know about that, but Phil, I'm distracted by that headway you've got going. No, no, it's all right. No, it's, it's, looks like a raccoon's kind of ended up on your head. No, it's fine. You're very welcome to read it. As we come to chapter 11, uh, this, at least this part, I, I feel more than ever that I need to pray for myself and that I need to pray for you guys um, as we study this part of God's word together, as we don our head coverings this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, uh, this scripture that's before us at first glance and perhaps for many of us first hearing feels a very long way from our culture and in many ways it really is. Father, we know that your word is written for us. We know that you speak timelessly. We know that your word is good. So Father, help us this morning to understand this part of your word rightly. Please help me to speak carefully. Help me to speak faithfully and with power. And Father, would we all, as is clear, do all things for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Phew, phew, I hear you all say, at last, at last we've come to the bit in the Bible that talks about head coverings. This has been a burning issue in our lives, my life, our life as a church for years, ever since we planted four and a half years ago. At last. Thank goodness we can sort out this passage, move on, and know what we're meant to do. So said no one ever at City Light Church, North Adelaide. (laughs) Maybe you heard the Bible reading and thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. I can't wait to see what Jacko does with this this morning. Well, to help me get my head around this passage, I did a bit of exploring, and I came across the modern etiquette for hat wearing. Most of you will know this well and truly, right? Um, But here it is, the modern etiquette for hat wearing in the 21st century. I'm going to speak to the men first. Gentlemen should always remove his hat as he enters into a building, including a restaurant, at a theatre or at a church. This rule extends to baseball caps and casual hats. Hats are to be removed when inside, except for places, places that are akin to public streets. For example, a hotel lobby or a lift in a public building. For these are similar to being out in public. It is acceptable for a gentleman to wear his hat. However, if a woman enters into a lift in a public building, the gentleman in the lift should remove his hat and hold it in front of him with one of his hands. There you go, blokes. When it comes to women, it's a bit more straightforward. Quote, women are not required to remove their hats when indoors unless they are rain hats. There you go. That's the modern secular etiquette for wearing hats. And you say, who listens to etiquette for hat wearing in 21st century Adelaide? Who cares? I say this because it connects with 1 Corinthians 11 and in some ways is really relevant because no one cares today about what you do with your head, right? 
what you wear on it or what you don't wear on it. Paul is discussing when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a cultural application of a biblical truth. Right, so if you take away anything from this morning's message, take away this. What is on your head is irrelevant. What is in your heads matters. What's on your head, irrelevant. What's in your head is what matters. But in 21st century culture, world, what you wear on your head is really no indicator, right, of what you're thinking in your head. But it was back then in the first century AD. It's a little bit of context, right? If you've forgotten, which is fair enough, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, a man who radically encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road after he was murdering Christians. He met Jesus and his life was turned upside down. He started loving Christians and planting churches. And one of the churches he planted was the church in Corinth. And he writes this letter to this church in the first century AD, around 55 AD, so a fair way ago. The Corinthians, right, they were a talented bunch of people, men and women, but they were being molded by the world rather than being molded and shaped by the cross of Christ. They were being molded not into a Jesus kind of shape, but into a worldly kind of shape in church. And as I mentioned, right, these chapters 11 through 14 are about how they are to be when they gather together as a church. The redeemed people of God, men and women from all kinds of different backgrounds, what it's meant to look like and be like when God's redeemed people, those saved by the blood of Jesus, those who trust in Christ, Christians, gather together. All right? Now here in chapter 11, the first half at least, verses 2 to 16, you ask what on earth is going on? Well, let's take a look. Verse 2, right, in your Bibles, hope you have it open. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and following. Um, verse 2, things kind of start pretty well, right? Paul says, I praise you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I praise you for remembering me in everything and holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So that's a pretty good start, right? I praise you for doing, going all right. Next week, when Tim Patrick, the Bible College of South Australia principal, Dr. Tim Patrick, turns up, you know, like you think, this is, you're looking at the B team, right? A team comes next week, but Tim Patrick will come and he'll open up from verse 17 with these words in the following directives Paul says I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good that's no good right in our passage things start well it would seem though that things need a little bit of clearing up I praise you verse 2 but verse 3 however I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman will get to that in a moment you get to the end of the passage verse 16 Clearly there's something contentious going on in the church. There is some argument. So when we come to this passage, it would seem that the question that's arisen from the Christians in Corinth is kind of like this. So like Paul, um, you've, you've, you've explained to us Jesus, right? You've explained to us the cross, right? And that's, and that's great. We've, we've turned to Christ. We love Christ. We've, we've been forgiven by him. We're living for him now. And you've explained to us, Paul, in this radical way, especially in our first century Greco-Roman culture, that men and women are equal. It is amazing, right? That's what they're kind of going. It is incredible. I mean, no one around here, they were saying, like, thinks like that. It's wonderful. 
I guess what we want to know, Paul, is that if we are all equal in Christ, if you know, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, woman, man is one in Christ Jesus, why do we have to wear different things when we get together in church? Because some of us think, you know, that I'm, now that I'm equal with my husband, I don't want to wear anything else on my head. And yet others are getting offended around church that some wives aren't wearing hats. Can you clear it up for us? That's the kind of context into which Paul's writing. So the essential question is this, right? Paul, why do we distinguish between men and women in church when you've told us that we're all equal? And his answer is this. If you ignore the differences between the genders, you'll dishonour God and you'll dishonour your spouse. That's really what he says. That's essentially what the passage is about. Don't ignore gender differences, otherwise you'll dishonour God and your spouse if you do so. Honour your head really is the summary of it. Verse 3, where you get these three parallel statements. Um, Paul says this, have a look. I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman, the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Three parallel statements and immediately we're into one or two difficulties. And you can see that from the footnote in your Bible. If you've got a copy of the Bible open in front of you, you'll see like there's this enormous footnote right down the bottom. Um, The words translated here, man or men or woman or women, could equally be translated husband and wife. It's the same word in the Greek language, right? So it's only context that'll actually explain it for us. So I stand up and go, my sister is Lauren. By the way, it's her birthday today. Can everyone say happy birthday? Happy birthday, Lauren! Because Lauren loves being the center of attention. Yeah, anyway. But I stand up and I say, my sister is Lauren. And some of you are going, don't know about that, you know. You know, um, is, is Lauren my sibling kind of biologically in my family or is she a member of our church and happens to be a spiritual sister in Christ? It's the context helps us understand. Here in 1 Corinthians 11, do we take it as man and woman or husband and wife? For myself, I think it makes much more sense that we see that Paul is describing a relationship between a husband and a wife. Although there are broader implications for men and women here. Why do I think that? Well, because in the parallel passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That's the parallel he draws in Ephesians 5, and I think it makes sense that he's kind of doing the same thing here. Husbands and wives, I think, is really who he's got his eye on, although there are broader kind of implications for the genders. Then there is a comparison of these relationships, right? Christ and man, man and woman, God the Father and God the Son, Christ Jesus. What's the comparison? Why this comparison? Because they're not equal, right? I mean, Christ creates all human beings, Man does not create woman, and God the Father didn't create God the Son. So what is the point of the comparison? Well, through this passage, it is that each head should be honoured, that the woman should honour her husband, that men should honour Christ, and that the Son of God honours God the Father. So the point of comparison he makes in these three sets is that the head should be honoured. And you go, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's get into the details, okay? So the headline is honour your head, and then Paul explains it in three kind of slightly different ways. So honour your head first, if you're a note taker, 
love note takers. My favorite, but no, I love you all. Um, if you note taker, the first point is this honor your head, firstly, as culture dictates, verses four to six. Secondly, as creation shows that the sexes are different, verses 10, seven to 10. Honor your head, thirdly, although they are interdependent, verses 11 to 12. And then I'll draw out some hopefully helpful conclusions. So, point one honor your head as culture dictates, verses four to six. Follow me with me, verse four. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. But if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Oh my gosh. Now I'm suggesting first up here, right, that to have your head covered or uncovered is purely a cultural exp- uh, expression of honouring your head back in the first century AD, AD 55, right? So a natural question you might want to ask right now is like, Jacko, how can you do that? How can you do that? How can you say that this part of God's word, chapter 11 of Corinthians, is just a cultural thing where we say in chapter six, like back in the past series, that prostitution is a timelessly unacceptable thing? How can you do that? Aren't you just, Jacko, picking and choosing like what's culturally relevant and what's timeless? Well, let me suggest to you two reasons why I'm persuaded, one biblical reason and one historical reason. Firstly, the biblical reason, right? Everywhere in the Bible, elsewhere in the Bible, sorry, God is fine with men having their heads covered. So if you go right back to the book of Exodus, the high priest, when he is leading public worship would have his head covered. It's the same in verse 14 of our chapter where Paul says that it's a disgrace for a man to have long hair. Well, elsewhere in the Bible, men are encouraged to have long hair. So if you were a Nazarite in the Old Testament, one of a group of God's people, then long hair, if you're a man, a Nazarite man, having long hair would be an indication that you are dedicated to the Lord, that you are, it's a mark of your holiness, you're being set apart for his service. So at points in the Bible, it is fine for men to have long hair and fine for men to cover their heads in worship, but not here. I think it's something to do with here. It's not timelessly the case, biblically. So those among us who have long hair, who like top knots, man buns and mullets, they're okay, biblically. Fashion-wise, I don't know. But biblically, fine. So secondly, historically though, right, all the the evidence we have from the contemporary first century writings and archaeology in the Mediterranean of the first century suggests that the only men who had long hair or who covered their heads were pagan priests um, who worshipped other gods. And so it would be odd, right, if you're a Christian to cover your head and sort of seemingly be worshipping pagan gods. That would be sort of not honouring your head, not honouring Christ. You can see that. By contrast, right, a woman or a wife who failed to cover her head is communicating a refusal to honour and acknowledge her husband. One commentator writes, quote, to expose her hair to the gaze of a stranger was a wife declaring, I'm willing to have the rest of my body exposed to you. That's obviously not the case today, is it? 
Verse 6, this image of having your head shaved and the shame that that brings. Again, it's pretty obvious, right? When you read the contemporary first century stuff, women who had adulterous affairs would have their heads shaved. It's pretty brutal, right? Um, Obviously, that would bring shame on the person and sort of shame to the family. Paul's saying, don't be like that. So one biblical reason, one historical reason, why I don't think it's a timeless truth, it's a cultural expression. Now in the 21st century, right, no one cares in the West whether you cover your head or not, the length of your hair, long or short. For us, it's what's on, on, what's on your head is irrelevant. The attitude inside your head is what is significant. Do notice as well, right, it's only when someone is praying or prophesying um, I was chatting about this with someone a little while ago and they said, yeah, there's this woman who comes into our church and uh, every week she sits down in the church and she pulls out of her handbag a scarf and puts it on her head. I think she believes she's honouring 1 Corinthians 11. She doesn't really do anything. She just sort of sits there with a scarf on her head. Here in chapter 11, it's only important to cover your head when you pray or you prophesy. What's all that about? Well, presumably it's when you're up the front or drawing attention to yourself. It's a bit like if you stand up in church to to pray or to interview someone or to review a book or to read the Bible or prophesy. We'll talk about what that means in a few weeks' time. But simply it's about encouraging and applying biblical truths, not the main sermon. 1 Timothy chapter 2, leave that to the elders. But if you're doing something up front in the gathering, that's when you should have your head covered. Okay, and you sort of ask me, like, so what does that mean for a woman? Like, having her head covered. I actually struggle to think of any kind of similar thing to this level of specification that, you know, of application back in those days. Um, For a woman to come up and, you know, like to not cover her head when she's praying or prophesying. Here's a stab. I know Adele's in the room, but I'm going to talk about her anyway. You know, if Adele came up and to lead us in prayer one day and she comes to the front and, you know, just like dramatically stands here and just like takes off her wedding ring and hurls it at Nick down the back, you know, and says, I'm equal to my husband, Simon. I reject that ring as a sign of my marriage. In fact, I'm reverting to my maiden name. Now let's pray. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? Would you like to come and do it? No, no. I think it's unlikely that she would do that, by the way, not least because Adele's maiden name was more complex than Jackson, and she'd have to spell it over the phone when people would ask all the time. To become a Jackson was a great blessing to her. (laughs) Even though I still go to our local fruit shop where we've got a membership, I never take my card. They say, do you have a membership here? I'm here four times a day, of course. No. And they say, what's your surname? Jackson. How do you spell that? I'm like, really? J-A-X? I went, no, J-A-C, yeah. To become a Jackson was a great blessing, but I think that's unlikely. But back in those days, right, that sort of demonstrative behaviour, that's, that's what not covering your kind of head communicated back then, do you see? But for us now, what you have on your head is neither here nor there. The attitude inside, that, that's what matters. They are cultural norms, Paul is saying. We get this in other settings, all right? There was a, there was a female politician some time ago in Australia who was in the House of Representatives and she turned up to the House of Representatives wearing a, a dress which was, you know, like cut off on the shoulder, was exposing her clavicle, oh my goodness. How inappropriate for Parliament was that? And we had some people saying, she should be able to do what she likes. 
You know, what about politicians who fall asleep in their seats and lie down in benches in Parliament? They're probably inappropriate things to do in Parliament. But they're really neither here nor there in themselves wrong, right? Lying down on a bench, wearing an evening dress in Parliament. I mean, who, in one sense, who cares? But they're actually sort of things that kind of draw attention to those people, right? They're attention-seeking things. Culturally, we think, hmm, you just kind of don't do that in the House of Reps in Australia. All sort of saying the same sort of thing, drawing attention, don't draw attention to yourself in church. So honour your head as culture dictates. Let's move on uh, and pivot to point two. Uh, Honour your head because creation shows that the sexes are different, verses seven to 10. Now the logic of verses seven to 10 is grounded in the account of creation that we find in Genesis chapter one and two. Um, Thanks for reading Genesis two again. Ruth, Ruth, I think the last time you read, you read Genesis 2, it's like your thing. Um, but anyway, um, but verse 7 and 8, you know, sort of begin for or because. Paul provides here the biblical explanation for what he's just said about honouring your head. Uh, there's a difference that creation makes. Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. And again, note here, right, Paul is not saying that woman is the image of man. That would make her entirely derivative, right? But she is the glory. Verse 8 and 9, further explanation. For man, or husband, we're talking about Adam and Eve here, did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So the first woman, Eve, was the glory of of man. She was taken out of him. She was made for him. Adam was the firstborn, as we heard in Genesis chapter 2, with all the responsibilities that that involved. He couldn't do it on his own. Eve was the glory of Adam, for as she joined him in the human race, the, well, sorry, when she joined him, the human race could become all that it was meant to be. And so Paul is saying here there's a difference in the creation of men and women. And that difference should be recognised and celebrated and honoured, not ignored. And verse 10 is like a little conclusion. I think you'd expect Paul to say, therefore, verse 10, wives, cover your heads. But he doesn't say that. Verse 10, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head. Paul says to the wife, take responsibility, do the right thing. I'm not demanding it of you. You have the responsibility and do it because of the angels. You know, when I first read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and I heard do it because of the angels, I went, what? Did you have that experience? Like, what? Um, I mean, I'm, in one sense, the angels are watching what we do. I think that's what it means. There you go. So Paul insists that men and women are different. There's nothing here about how in a household with a husband and a wife, decisions get made how things operate, you know, who does what. Paul's point here seems to be that wives in the church gathering don't bring shame upon your husbands. So it may be, right, that a wife wants to ask, look, I found, I found that a pretty odd sermon from Jacko this morning, pretty odd passage, but let me ask you while we're talking about it, are there any ways you feel undermined in public and in particular in church by me? Husbands, they seem to bring shame on Christ by blurring boundaries, by ignoring their spiritual responsibility. So husbands could ask their wives, look, I found that a pretty odd sermon by Jacko this morning. 
pretty odd passage. But let me ask you, while we're talking about it, do you think I should do more? Am I too passive? Do I annoy you in that way at church? And just to be really clear, right? They're the sort of questions you might want to ask on the way home. Just to be really clear, I asked Adele that yesterday. I said, look, I'm a pretty odd preacher. No, I didn't say that. You know, it's a pretty odd passage we're looking at tomorrow, but one of the implications is, you know, like, am I too passive in my spiritual responsibility? And I can't exactly remember what she said, but something like, heck yeah. Your pastor is letting his wife down. There you go. There's my confession today. I need to step up in my spiritual responsibilities. So honour your head. As creation shows, the sexes are different. More on that in a minute. Although verses 11 to 12, honour your head, although the two sexes, male and female, are interdependent. Um, Here's an important qualifier, verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. And just by the way, that happens very regularly down at Women's and Children's Hospital on a daily basis. Yeah, there you go. But he finishes. But everything comes from God. So here is an important qualification. Husbands and wives, men and women, they need each other. You know, when men fail to honour their wives, they fail in one of the most basic responsibilities we have and will cause great harm to our families. You know, elsewhere, Ephesians chapter 5, the word says, men, yes, you are the head of your household. And you know what that means, men? Sacrifice. You love. You give. You lay your life down for your family and your wife. And the biblical picture is of men and women as complementary, not identical, complementary, similar, but different. Equal, you know, Paul says, Galatians 3, um, in Christ Jesus there is no longer, you know, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, all are one in Christ. Absolutely equal, but the sexes, right, similar but different. Not so much made different from one another, but as husband and wife made different for one another, to complement each other. Asymmetrical, like two bits of puzzle coming together. And the intriguing thing in this passage is that is not that men and women have different roles, both in this passage pray, both in this passage prophesy, um, in this text. It's not that they have different roles, it's about how they relate in a different kind of way. Husbands taking a gentle spiritual lead, wives encouraging that, but they are interdependent, the two sexes. They need each other and we're better together. That's the key. Okay. Let me draw things together a little with three kind of statements of conclusion. The first is straightforward. Men and women are different, and we should celebrate that. We should honour that. If nothing else, right, take that away from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 to 16. Men and women are different, and we should celebrate that. We should honour that. We're not going to look at it in detail um, at these last few verses, but verse 14, it's really striking. Have a look with me, verse 14. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? That if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? 
Now, kind of ignore the length of hair stuff, right? That's, that's sort of slightly cultural. But Paul says, seems to be saying that beyond what the Bible teaches, you know, example, the accounts of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, there's something just deep within us that we just know that men and women are different. Most of us just get this instinctively and psychologically. We know that. There is, I'll share it on um, Slack uh, this afternoon, perhaps. There's a wonderful study, actually, that just shows this across time and across culture, across ethnicity, across the world, there is just these, these innate differences between men and women. And so when it's denied, right, the difference between the sexes, most people just kind of go, really? I don't know. You know, like when a shop like Target, the Red Spot Boutique, or, you know, Kmart, starts suggesting that we remove separation between boys' clothes and girls' clothes, or girls' toys and boys' toys, you know, most of us go, that's, that's, a, that's a bit silly, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it's a bit silly. Can we not say that some toys boys prefer and some toys girls prefer? But no one says anything, right? Because it's the, the cultural dogma says, how dare you suggest such a thing? We need, we must avoid over-caricaturing, right? What the sexes are like or stereotyping sexes, what men do and what women do. But there is a difference. One of the favourite things I do each week is take my little fella Fletcher to kinder music where we hang out with Mr Jeff. Mr Jeff, love Mr Jeff. If you ever meet Mr Jeff, just, yeah. I want to be Mr Jeff, actually. Um, someone said to me the other day, if you weren't a pastor, Jacko, what would you do? I said, I'd be Mr Jeff. You know, kinder music is where all these little kids get together and they play instruments and muck around and, you know, then you go home and recover for the rest of the afternoon. But um, I take Fletcher along, right? And it's just, I watch the kids, right? I'm watching the kids and the girls pick up the instruments and they tinker with them and they mostly play nicely. The boys smash them on the ground and they crash into each other and there's blood. No, you know, like, there's just a difference. I'm not saying, some of the girls are exactly like that and some of the boys are just tinkering on the ground. Like, it's just, there's a difference. Let's not stereotype it, but there is a difference. But the Bible doesn't have many rules at all about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. It doesn't. And we must not be prescriptive as Christians about what that looks like because it's not in the word. And at the same time, in Genesis chapter 2, the difference in gender belongs to the essence of humanity in a way that nothing else does. Race, ethnicity, social distinctions, they're not essential to our humanness. Whereas in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, two genders is. And in our current climate, that of course is being denied and it's causing chaos. I was chatting to a dad recently who has a 14-year-old daughter at a school, she attend, and her daughter attends a school here in Adelaide. She's 14 and the majority of girls in her class now identify as gender non-binary. His daughter is so confused. I mean, I don't know, the majority of girls in that class, 14-year-olds now are saying I'm neither male nor female. The chaos it'll produce, is it? There's a girl in Stella's class who is like that at the moment, who is identifying that way. I think, I think we're gonna have to wait 20 years, actually, to see the impact of this. But it's intense, right? It's full on. 1 Corinthians 11 is one of those passages that says men and women are different. It's okay. 
Don't be prescriptive about what that looks like. I could say heaps more on this, but let's celebrate the difference. And I think we as Christians will want to do that. I think we will resist any trend towards kind of androgyny, you know, where in dress and style and makeup, we're all just going to look the same. But men and women are different. We should celebrate that. A second statement by way of conclusion. Behaviour in church like this is, simply, is not simply a matter of personal preference. Just before our text um, today, we come across 10, chapter 10, verse 24. It's the, kind of the conclusion of another argument for Paul, but feeds into our passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that should be the attitude that's in our head when we come to church, when we do anything as God's people. You do notice, right, that it's quite a subtle argument that Paul presents in 1 Corinthians 11 here. Like he doesn't just go, look, some people are getting offended, so just stop it. Wives, no more prophesying, no more praying, just the men. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He doesn't want to do that. Paul wants to fully integrate women and all their wonderful gifts into the life of the church gathering. And he wants both genders to fully play their part. But he says, you can't simply say, yeah, but I want to do it like this. I want to take my headscarf off. I want to take my ring off. I want to change my name. I want to do it my way. Because he says there are other people there. So he says, be thoughtful. Be considerate. Don't be contentious. Again, there's there's heaps of things I could say here. Like in our culture of expressive individualism, where like, you know, it's, it's my way, you know, I am, you know, the only way I can be who I am is if I do whatever I want to do. That's expressive individualism. It's rampant through our culture. Since which it's creeping into the church, but church is not simply a matter of personal preference. And look, I don't know, the closest thing, what's the closest thing in our setting? Maybe, maybe, you know, if you're doing something up the front of church, you know, don't wear stuff up the front that makes people kind of raise their eyebrows or kind of be distracted. You might have seen if you follow me on Facebook, I, I, my first album that I ever owned was Def Leppard's Hysteria. And you're looking at me going, who on earth are they? Um, my son is trying to, I'm trying to explain who they are to him and he's like, they sound terrible. Yeah, anyway. But I got a, you know, the other day I thought I'm going to relive my childhood days. I got a Def Leppard t-shirt. I thought about wearing it today. I said to Adele, should I wear my Def Leppard t-shirt while I'm preaching? Adele goes, no. She's a very wise woman, my wife, you know. If you have any questions about this passage, talk to her. She's like, she's all over it. But just be thoughtful, right? I think that's, that's kind of recognising what Paul's saying here. Be thoughtful, be considerate, don't be contentious. Behaviour in church is not simply a matter of personal preference. There are others around. We've got to look after each other. And my third statement, brothers and sisters, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Again, just before our text, there's this passage, there's this verse, verse 31, chapter 10, that moderates it all. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's the simple point. But when we gather together at church like this, it's not about us. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. We do what honours God. And Paul says here in the first half of 1 Corinthians 11, one way of honouring God is to recognise gender differences between men and women when God's people gather. Celebrate them. Model them in your attitude. 
Remembering it's not about what's on your head that matters, it's the attitude that's in your head that matters. We glorify God as we live as men and women together under his loving rule in light of his word. That's what Paul's encouraging. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, feel, feel free to approach me at the back door or the front door, whatever we call it, afterwards with any questions you might have. Um, honestly, I've spent more time working on this sermon than, than I normally would. Um, I found myself praying like, Lord, why don't you make this passage clearer? And I don't know the answer. I found grappling with this passage really humbling, actually. Um, you know, there are some passages which I come across. Actually, I said to someone the other day, um, my, my, I'm uncomfortable when we do sermon series like on topics and things like that because I'm just not very good at topics. And you're probably saying, yeah, the work series wasn't very good. You know, like, um, I'm not really good at topical stuff. I love exegetical stuff. Like, give me a text of the Bible and I'll just like, man, that's my happy place. I opened the Bible to do this series going, oh, I can't wait to get back into it. I'm like, oh, What? You know, there are some passages I, I, I come across, right? I read it, I pray about it, and I just I type, 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 insert funny story, type, 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 find a quote from an old dead guy, insert that, type, 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 um, helpful, maybe you would disagree, applications, type, 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 print, deliver. There you go. That's, that's somehow, sometimes sermons are really kind of somewhat easy to write. This was hard. This was humbling. I've sat at my desk saying, help, help. And I think sometimes that's why we have these tricky texts, all right? Of course, to humble us and to call us afresh to actually go, no, am I, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, am I going to humbly sit under his word? Or am I going to run with the culture? I think we're forced to confront that challenge. So, brothers and sisters, may we here at North not dishonour the Lord and not dishonour our spouses or the other gender by ignoring gender differences. But by honouring the Lord, let's, and appropriately celebrating the differences, by recognising that we're better together and that we need one another. And let's do it all for the glory of God. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for that truth that when you made humanity, you made men and women, you made us male and female, and that it's together that we reflect fully your image in the world. Father, we recognise there's mystery here. We don't quite know all that it means, but we don't want to deny it. We want to live it out appropriately. So for us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, help us to think about how to do that. Father, please um, protect us from being overly prescriptive about what it means to be a man or means to be a woman. We're reminded of the wonderful example of the Apostle Paul as he cared for the church at Thessalonica, that he was like a father to them. He was also like a nursing mother to them. To remind us that we're all called to be like Jesus, compassionate and gracious and strong, courageous, firm, 
loving. Father, help those of us who are married to work it out. Help us to operate as men and women, husbands and wives, in a way that honours you, is good for us, and brings you great glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.